Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Good morning, everybody. I'm Joan. I'm an alcoholic. And what a crowd. This is all, you are all my new friends. It's so good to be here. My home group is the second edition group in Las Vegas, Nevada. It meets at 6.45 in the morning every morning of the week. And if you are ever in Las Vegas, I hope you will come and join us. I'm going to start by telling you just a little bit about my background so you know where I came from. I was an only child to a father who was an alcoholic and a mother who was an untreated Al-Anon who to this day is still an untreated Al-Anon. She's 102. (laughs) So I'm going to be around for a while. My mother told my dad, she says, if you quit drinking, I'll marry you. So he quit drinking. And for the 19 years that I was uh, at home, he didn't drink. But it was an alcoholic home. There were no hugs. Um, We didn't do any uh, really close relations. My mother was Danish and they don't... My Danish uh, grandmother did not hug. Uh, My dad was a Scot and he, uh, he liked to hug. But he didn't hug because she had told him, don't hug. So... I grew up very alcoholically, even though he wasn't drinking. My mother was a homemaker, and so I didn't learn how to do anything in the house. So I went down in the shop with my dad and learned how to work a lathe and drilling press and all of those kind of things. I was the mechanic, because my mother wanted to do the dishes and make the beds and do the dusting and all of that. So I never learned any of that stuff. So when they both broke up and left me alone at 19, I didn't even know how to cook. But I met a guy that I was working with. I was working as an engineering, senior engineering aide, because I had been told that I could do anything I wanted. So I uh, went to college to be an engineer, and then I was working in the summer for highways in California. And a fellow student of mine... He asked me, what are you going to be when you uh, finish your degree? I said, I'm going to be a civil engineer. You can't be an engineer. You're a girl. Oh. And I thought, well, okay, I'll be a teacher and I'll do math and science. So I went to Berkeley and thought, I'll just take engineering on the side. Well, when they broke up, I was in my junior year and I had to quit school and go to work. So I went to work and met a guy, and he came over, and I got a place to live, and he said, well, why don't you come and live with me? So I thought, okay, and I did. Well, long story short, I had a son, and then I got married when he was four months old, because my friend, who then became my husband, hadn't been divorced yet. We have a mixed past, don't we? <laughs> well, we got married and I had a second son and when he when they were 6 and 7, my husband 
left a note on the cupboard door one day while I was at work and said, uh, this is it, I'm gone. And I have never seen him since. And that was in 1967. My sons never saw him after that. They never heard from him. I know he's still alive because I look at his social security number and it's still working. (laughs) So I started to drink because I had watched my dad after he finally uh, started drinking again. And it kind of helped him mellow out and solve his problems. So I started to drink. And I, I didn't start drinking like the normal people did. Because I was always taking them home. And I never knew where I woke up. I would wake up and tell this guy who was laying next to me, uh, can you take me back to where my truck is? And, of course, that was an interesting part of my past, too. I was one of those uh, oldest professions, and I never got paid. <laughs> Well, finally, when my sons were about 17 and 18, I went and I went to a doctor and had a medical. And I got the results on the 20th of December. He said, uh, uh, "How's your? How do you feel?" I said, "I feel pretty good." Do you have any problems? I said, no, not really. I have a couple of drinks every night to go to sleep, but other than that, no problem. Well, he said, "If you don't quit drinking, you're going to die because you had half a liver left." And he said, I give you somewhere between six months and two years to live. And if you want to see what that looks like, I'll take you to the hospital because I've got several other people like you who are dying. No, I don't want to go there. I'll just quit. Well, you know how we quit. And that was the 20th of December. And and Christmas was coming up. Well, you have to drink at Christmas. After all, how do you celebrate Christmas without alcohol? So it was a three-day weekend. And on Tuesday morning when I went to work, I didn't feel too good. Now, I had not had hangovers because I never sobered up. I drank. I was a maintenance drunk. I just drank every day till 2 in the morning, went home, went to bed, got up at 7, went to work, got off work, went to home, got a few drinks so I could go back to the bar. I mean, I, that's the kind of life I was living. Now, I'd had another husband in, the, in that part of my life. He was a Puerto Rican. <clears throat> he thought he was the boss. <laughs> and I had not been raised to be, a, be bossed by anybody at home. <clears throat> I'm still a drinker, <clears throat> because my voice doesn't always stay around. So after about five years, he said, I don't think I want to be here anymore. I'm going back to Puerto Rico, at which he did. I thought, okay, that's okay. I'll just keep on doing what I'm doing. So I met another guy in the bar, and we got married. And... Uh, I didn't really want to marry him, but what I, you can't say no when somebody asks you. <laughs> well, when this doctor told me I was going to die, I wanted to live. And I did not know how to live. So I thought, well, after three weeks of trying, because I went through New Year's drunk too, 
So on the 6th of January, I, in four in the afternoon on a Saturday, I decided I have to get help. So I called the AA number. A woman answered and she says, uh, this is Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is so-and-so. Uh, can, do you need help? And I hung up. I don't know if I can do this. Five minutes later, I picked up the phone and called it again. Same woman answered, said the same thing. She said, would you like to have somebody come to your house? Hell no, this is an anonymous program. I don't want you knowing who I am and where I live. She said, well, we have a meeting tonight at the Alcohol Rehabilitation Center. Do you know where that is? No, I don't know where that is. Now, I'd lived in this town 15 years. I knew where it was. She said, well, it's, do you know where the old crow used to be? Yes, that was a bar. She said, well, they've turned it into a rehab center. <laughs> she said, we have a meeting at 8, so can you be there? I said, okay. So I hung up the phone and immediately took a drink because I needed to settle down. Well, at 6.30 that night, I thought I'd better not drink anymore because then I won't be able to drive to the meeting. So I went to my mother-in-law's house and... uh she uh, said, okay, I'll tell Jim when you come home. You'll be home when you get there. And I went to that meeting. I knew how you guys dressed, so I put on my oldest hat. That was in winter. Big coat and sweatshirt and old, old jeans. And I walked into this room, into this bar. And way at the back, there was a room full of people. And this woman way at the back end said, oh, are you Joan? <laughs> So much for anonymity. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I went to that place every noonday because it was about four blocks from where I worked. Every noontime I went there. Every night I went there right after work and I stayed till the meeting was over. Went home, did this every day for about a month and a half. And there was a speaker meeting on Saturday night and I chose to talk to this woman who was speaking. Because she talked my language, and she said things I understood. And so I asked her to be my sponsor. January 7th of 1979 was the last time I took a drink. I've not had any further drunks on Christmas or New Year's. I can't tell you what those Christmases and New that what that Christmas and New Year's was like, but from there on I can tell you. My sons really didn't like that because uh, I all of a sudden got a two-letter sentence: no. They had never heard me say no and mean it. But I learned from you people some new language. And they didn't really appreciate this new language I had learned. And I went to meetings, and my sponsor said, you go to meetings and you listen. And at six months, somebody said something, and I said, I don't think that's what the traditions say. He said, shut your mouth, call your sponsor, and go to meetings and read the book. I was so angry with him. How could, how dare he say I didn't know what I was talking about? And I walked out of there swearing I'd never come back to AA again. And I drove off into the woods and yelled at God because I, by this time, had taken the third step and knew I had a higher power and he wasn't listening to me. 
and I thumped a few rocks at a few trees and I got calm. And I walked out of there and I knew I had a God of my understanding. I had not grown up with church, so I didn't know much about that. But I learned spirituality from you. And I don't talk a lot about God, and if I do that now, I'm not going to get through this, because it's my God is in here. You can borrow him if you need a God, but you can't have it. He's mine. He's in here. I learned that I had to get into service sometimes. And I watched what happened in meetings. And I watched what our group did when they had business meetings. And it looked, it looked contentious. <laughs> and one day in my second year, or in my third year, Somebody said, we've decided you're going to be our GSR and we're going to Tonopah next week, so you're coming with us. And what does that mean? I don't even know what a GSR is. Well, I drove over to this little town in the middle of Nevada that has, like, nothing. And we had this assembly. And they had microphones around the room. And I had learned about unity because that's what the first tradition talks about. we got to stick together or we'll die alone. And I saw these people get up at the mic and talk and they were talking like it was theirs and then somebody had, and it was theirs and somebody else got up and talked and it was theirs and they were mm. I thought this is not good. And then they took a break and everybody went outside because in those days they were all smoking. I was too. And they were hugging each other and saying, oh, it's so good to see you. And it's been a year since I've been here. And how have you been? And all of this. And I'm thinking, this is nuts. <laughs> when you have conflict, somebody has to die. <laughs> well, you hooked me. You know, earlier, I had gone to a meeting with my sponsor in a different town. And a lot of people were coming out of this room. And I said, what are all those people doing in there? There wasn't a meeting scheduled there. She said, oh, that's the politics of AA. You don't want anything to do with them. Well, all of a sudden, I realized she was talking about a business meeting of the district. Because now I knew about districts. And it wasn't politics. We aren't political. We're just trying to keep AA there for the next suffering alcoholic which is why I fell in love with service. Well, <clears throat> then I had to go back to my group. And I had to sit there in a business meeting and tell them what happened at the assembly. And they didn't like everything that I had to say. And they really didn't care what I had learned. <laughs> and I thought, what is the matter with you? Don't you know this is important stuff? Well, I kept doing my job, and as GSR, I was the keeper of the traditions in my group. And every once in a while, somebody would have an issue, and so we would set a meeting time for uh, enough people from the group, because the meeting had, the group had several meetings, and we wanted everybody involved. 
And we got everybody involved because this had to do with smoking in the meeting. <laughs> you ever tried to quit a meeting smoking? It's not pretty when they start a business meeting with the subject, we're going to stop smoking in this building. Well, it that's where I learned a lot about unity. Because we have to be here together. If we don't stick together, we can we can have diverse opinions all over the place. And I don't have to agree with you, but I have to accept you. And we have to take a group conscience. And we had I had to help them learn what a group conscience was. And then I kept going and kept going and pretty soon in an assembly I had just been a DCM for a couple of years and I learned that you always make yourself available. And I told my service sponsor, I said, I don't think I'm ready for anything else. She said, you don't have to be ready. God makes you ready. If it's time for you to move on, God will make the decision. So you, whatever the position is, if you're available, you stand. Well, they first asked for the, for the election for the delegate. And I, that was, our, just, our area is split in two pieces. And we switched north and south. <clears throat> so sometimes the delegate comes from the north and sometimes the delegate comes from the south. Well, this time it was in the south and I was in the north, so I didn't have to worry about standing for that. But the alternate delegate, she says, get up. What do you mean, get up? That's not, I haven't been an officer here even. She says, just stand up. If if God wants you there, he'll put you there. And I got elected. Well, I thought, okay, I can do this. That was panel panel 37, alternate delegate. Well, two years go by and they have another election. And God said, your ego is too big. We're going to move you to Los Angeles. Well, that was out of my area. But I had to do the job. So I had to leave. I cried. Because I wanted to stand for delegate. But he was right. My ego was there. I wasn't doing it for you. I was doing it for me. And it took moving away for five years, and then I moved back into another job, which put me back into the area I was in. And I started all over. Went to meetings, found the home group, found the the need for a GSR, went all the way through again. And this time, I was elected alternate, and then I was elected delegate on the third ballot, which was unheard of. And I, and I cried. I really cried. Because I didn't think I was ready. And yet I knew I was. So, I got a chance to see a bigger picture. And what I can tell you is, this fellowship is going to remain solid. Because we have solid people willing to serve. And every one of you 
as a service function. Whether it's washing cups and ashtrays, of course they don't smoke in meetings anymore, but I wash cups and ashtrays. I was the secretary of a meeting. I was the treasurer for a group. I was the treasurer for a part of our area. There's something there, sponsorship. I sponsor women now. I didn't think I was able to sponsor women, but I found that all I have to do is help them. If they have questions, I can be there and give them my experience, strength, and hope. And I hope that I've given you my experience, strength, and hope a little bit. Thank you, Joan. I didn't even have to get the hook out. She did really good with the time. That's good. I was wondering how that was going to work out. And our next uh, panelist, I guess we'll call him, Ron. Don. I knew I was going to get that wrong. Don. Sorry. Good morning. My name's Don, and I'm a damn good drunk. I'm glad to be here, I think. I was telling a friend outside the hall that I was vacillating between paralyzing fear and joy and hoping that God would intercede and put me in the middle, and perhaps he will. Um, I come from Bath, New York. It's a small rural town in upstate New York. has nothing to do with New York City. I don't speak that way. <laughs> and uh, my home group there in Bath is strictly AA. We meet in the basement of the local hospital there, six doors down from the morgue. We like to tell the people that join us at the meeting, you know, if they can't make it here, we'll see them up the hall. And unfortunately, way too many of them end up there. But uh, the ones that are blessed, I guess, are here today. And I feel blessed to be an Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I got here because someone said I should come here. I got into service because someone said I should do service. And I guess uh, I, I need to thank God that he had made me compliant rather than rebellious. And when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I didn't know anything about Alcoholics Anonymous per se. Uh, I attended a couple meetings 25 years ago as an invited guest. Um, perhaps they saw something that I could not see at the time. But when I got here, I didn't know why I was here. But I thank each and every one of you that are out there because there were people there in Bath that when I got there and they had the meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous open so I could walk through the door. And I can't tell you that Alcoholics Anonymous has saved my life. I don't know that. I can't say that with any certainty. But I can tell you this, that Alcoholics Anonymous has given me a greater gift than just life. 
It has given me a life that I want to live. And that is miraculous. <clears throat> now, um, I'm not an old timer. Most likely I never will be. Um, I have found someone here this weekend that shared my anniversary date. Um, tomorrow, Francisco and myself will celebrate our anniversaries with 50,000 people, and it's wonderful. I got to Alcoholics Anonymous because I found the bottom of the pit. You know, I found that spot that was so dark that I couldn't see the sunlight of the spirit. And I found that spot that stunk of myself. And, and it, it smelled of my self-loathing and my misery. And I got to that spot and I, and I made a decision with God's help. And you either got to turn left or you got to turn right. You either got to start climbing out of that pit or you lay down and die in the bottom of that pit. <clears throat> and I decided to try to make the claim out of, climb out of that pit. And that's why I'm here today. And I'm here today to talk about unity as I understand it. <clears throat> and when I first got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I did not understand it. But I, again, did what they told me when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. They said, get a home group, and I did. And there I found my sponsor, because you people told me to get a sponsor. And my sponsor not only worked the steps with me, he was also deeply involved in service. And I began my journey in, in, in service. Well, I was a GSR when I was 13 or 14 months sober, I forget. I didn't know even what the hell it stood for when I became one. <laughs> but I guess that's how we learned Alcoholics Anonymous. Today I serve Alcoholics Anonymous in, in many capacities. I am blessed that I have a life where I can devote quite a bit of time to Alcoholics Anonymous. I, uh, when I first got here, I was working two jobs and, uh, my 8-to-5 job and my business that I still run today. But I gave up the 8-to-5 job so I could spend more time with Alcoholics Anonymous. I really did. I, I, I'm financially secure enough where I can be of service. And I guess that's where God has, has led me to. And I do the best I can to try to keep Alcoholics Anonymous together on, on my level. When I when I read the... the panel, I, I fell in love with that. I just had never put those two things together. Unity, I am responsible. That to me says that I have a responsibility to try to keep Alcoholics Anonymous unified. Well, how do I do that? Well, in early, early part of Alcoholics Anonymous, when I first got here, I quickly learn, and this is what I pass on to my guys that I work with, is that no matter how mad I got at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and no matter how big of idiots I thought you all were, that I better show up the next week. I got to find a way to get over that 
So I stay a part of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what I tell my guys. If you go to a meeting and you are just absolutely incensed when you get out of that meeting, I want you to go back there next week. And find out what about yourself has made you so mad. And that's the first lesson I learned. And and I don't know about you, but I have this nemesis in Alcoholics Anonymous. Perhaps you do too. And he's the guy that I absolutely cannot stand. He has absolutely nothing that I want. And he keeps on trying to give it to me. <laughs> and we, we, we just buck heads every time we meet. You know? And I find that my sobriety works best when our unity is infrequent. <laughs> But that's very difficult to do because he's in my home group. (laughs) So, consequently, I have realized as the years have gone by that this man has been one of the greatest spiritual teachers I have encountered in Alcoholics Anonymous. Because he kept coming back, and I'd be damned if I was not going to come back because it was my home group too, And I learned love and tolerance and patience. Still in short supply on most of those things, but it's getting better. And that, to me, speaks to the unity of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've come to realize that this man has a story that somebody has to hear. And it's different than mine. It doesn't make it better. It doesn't make it worse. It makes it different. And if I try to exclude him from Alcoholics Anonymous because I don't agree with what he says, then I'm excluding a part of Alcoholics Anonymous that needs to be here. And I can't do that in good conscience. I can't love my fellow alcoholic if I, if I try to exclude him from Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the first lesson I've learned in Alcoholics Anonymous about unity. No, no matter how mad I get, I better be there next week. Better come back. You know, I, 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 I'm not one to flip from home group to home group looking for something that I can never seem to find. You know, if I don't like the group I'm in, I stay there and I try to change it for the betterment of Alcoholics Anonymous. <clears throat> Some days I wish I could get out of there. But that to me speaks to, speaks to unity, the kind of unity I think that Bill speaks of in early AA, in all the contentious times, you know, in early AA, and there was a lot of them. And there was, there was a point shortly before Bill published the, the traditions that was very contentious in Alcoholics Anonymous. In fact, it was a, a period of time where Alcoholics Anonymous was in, in deep trouble of, of, of dissolving. <clears throat> But we made them through there, and I, I, I attest that we got through that period because of Bill's great vision for Alcoholics Anonymous. He was absolutely amazing in crafting the 12 traditions. And, of course, the first tradition is unity. That's always our first tradition. If you want to have fun some night at your home group or any group, get in there, sit down, grab the 12 traditions, and read them backwards.
we get jaded because we hear it at every meeting we come to. I did that at one of, one of my favorite groups. I sat there and <clears throat> a few years ago there was a gentleman that got 10, 12 years more sobriety than I did. And I read the steps backwards. And when I do that, I get to the or the traditions and I read the first tradition. I said, and the number one tradition in Alcoholics Anonymous is unity. And he all of a sudden stops. After I get done, I'm all done. They're going on the next reading. He looks at me and says, did you just read those traditions backwards? Yeah, I guess you weren't paying too much attention, were you? And we don't. You know, we hear those traditions over and over again. We just tune out. I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of it too. When's the last time you sat there and intently listened to those 12 traditions like you did the first month or the first two months you were in Alcoholics Anonymous? I try to do that from time to time because I think the traditions are that important to Alcoholics Anonymous. They're important enough that when I sponsor a gentleman, Alcoholics Anonymous, I tell him we're going to do two things. We're going to work the steps so that you can recover. And we're going to work the traditions right along with them so you can help preserve Alcoholics Anonymous. You see, I've got a vested interest in this. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous, new people. We're here when I got here. I found a life worth living because you people helped me find it. I pray to God that they don't. But my children may be here. I mean, I'm the child of alcoholics. Both my mother and my father were an alcoholic. My sister was an alcoholic. And none of them survived sober from this disease. All of them succumb to this disease. And I pray to God that my children and my grandchildren don't. But if they fall and fail like I had as a human being, I pray that Alcoholics Anonymous is here for them so they can find a way out. That's what I'm responsible for. And I think it's very important that we build our unity on all the traditions. I say that for this reason. In the area I come from, there is an awful lot of open meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. 90%, 95% are open meetings. I don't find that in other parts of the country. That's all well and good, I guess. I prefer closed meetings. I prefer to go to a closed meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous because I got sober by identifying with another alcoholic. I didn't I didn't identify with an overeater or you know a sex addict. No, I I I talked to my sponsor about my drinking. And he told me what he did. He shared his experience and what he did about his drinking. And I think we need to include all the traditions. Unity is our first tradition, but just like the steps, the other traditions are built on that first tradition. And when you get to the twelfth tradition, what does it tell us? That's where we learn about placing principles before personalities. You know, I am particularly in love with the 
fifth tradition of Alcoholics Anonymous to long form. <clears throat> and I wrote that down just to make sure that I was faithful to the, the words as they are written. Each Alcoholics Anonymous group ought to be a spiritual entity having but one primary purpose. <clears throat> that of carrying its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Isn't that something? You know, isn't that how your home group works? Mine does some days at least. It is a spiritual entity. That's where I learned about spirituality was in my home group. And its spirituality is what keeps me from lapsing back and falling into that hole again that I crawled out of. And, I, you know, I just got, I guess I don't know how else to put it. When I work with a guy from Alcoholics Anonymous, we sit down and I ask him to tell me his story. And if I perceive that he doesn't have a problem with alcohol, I, I, I just tell him, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Because I have no experience. I'm here to share my experience, strength, and hope with another alcoholic. It, it doesn't work. It didn't work for me. And I don't have any experience to share with anybody else. So I will, I will close with this thought, and, I'm, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, because I do love Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I, I do everything I can. I'm very active in Alcoholics Anonymous. Unity, absolutely. We need to get every alcoholic that we can find and anybody that has a problem with alcohol in these rooms. But not at the expense of our other traditions. You know, I, those open meetings I mentioned earlier, I see too many resentment meetings. Somebody gets mad and they don't stay there and stick it out. They don't come back the next week. They go across the street, they rent the hall across the street, and they grab a coffee pot and they do an open meeting. And what do they want? They want body count. They want heads. They want just people there. Come on in. You know, we'll, we'll bend that tradition a little bit. I don't care what your problem is. Come on in. We're having an open meeting here. You can come in. Well, I think, this is the 75th anniversary, right? Isn't that the diamond anniversary? I believe it is, right? Diamond? How do we get this, this gem? You know, it was, it was, it was hammered out on the forges of experience and, and, and chiseled away to create the many facets that we see today of alcoholic nominates. We have this beautiful glowing gem today. And I, for one, want to keep it glowing. I want to keep it glowing for every alcoholic that needs it. And for that, I am responsible. And thank you very much for letting me be here today. Thanks, Don. I uh, certainly can relate. I know uh, you talk about the open meetings. Where I sobered up, we had three meetings a week. We had two closed and one open, and I used to call them my meat and potatoes, and, and on Saturday that was like dessert. That was the open meeting. The meat and potatoes were the closed meetings, the steps, and, and uh, that's, that's what I used to call it. Maritimers, we love our meat and potatoes, so that's what I used to relate to. And, uh, and uh, thank you for that. It is serious stuff. We need to 
you know, stick with the traditions. And for our next uh, speaker is Roy. I'm Roy and I'm a drunk. Uh, sober today only by the grace of God through the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you don't hear anything else, I hope you hear that. Sober today by the grace of God through the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous. What it used to be like, I started drinking when I was about 9 or 10 years old, drank till I was 40. I liked the effect that alcohol produced in me. I never did get sick and tired of it. A lot of people say they come to AA because they were sick and tired. I was sick and tired of getting caught. <laughs> By the time I was 14 years old, I was three times a week drunk. <clears throat> I went to college. They kicked me out of college. Uh, something about performance. I went in the Navy and I did my master's and PhD in drinking. I'm a drinker. It's what I am. I'm not a father. Not an ex-husband. Not a brother. I'm a drinker. I have absolutely no history of staying sober on my own. Absolutely none. So I uh, drank my way out of the Navy. By the time I was 26 years old, I was so paranoid that I thought they were going to kick me out. <clears throat> so I got out with the lie, I'm going to go back to college and get a degree in civil engineering. Nobody told me I couldn't get a degree in civil engineering. <laughs> but they didn't have a lot of civil engineering classes down at Chubb's Pub and Package Place and, <laughs> in Fargo, North Dakota. They, just, they weren't there, but I was. And I, I took a hostage when I was... 33 years old, married, had two kids, and one day she said, uh, we're not going to live like this anymore. She called me on the phone to tell me she was divorced. And that bothered me a lot. It didn't bother me that she was going to take the kids. It didn't bother me that she was going to leave. What bothered me is she was going to take her paycheck with her. Because <laughs> by this time, I drank my way out of my business that I was in. So I ended up going to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. The meets in the basement of Gate City Savings Alone in Dickinson, North Dakota at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. I don't remember my last drunk. I don't. 
I never plan on staying sober. But it was sometime in February 1984 that I ended up in that basement of Gate City Savings Alone in Dickinson, North Dakota. I walked down the stairs and I walked through the door and this hawk-faced old broad by the name of Gene come trotting over, stuck her hand on my face and says, Hi, I'm Gene. I'm an alcoholic. Oh boy, aren't I impressed. <laughs> I went over and sat down. And I didn't hear much of anything. Until at the end, Gene got up and says, uh, in the beginning, uh, Angie read How It Works, and now Nona's going to read Why It Works. I'm paying attention now because I know it's over with. It's a chance now I can bolt out the door. And I heard that there was only one requirement for membership, and that was a desire to stop drinking. Now, I don't know if this is the way I was thinking at the time, but it's the way I remember it. I'd been 86th out of most bars that I drank in. And here was a bunch of people saying that they couldn't kick me out no matter what. That's interesting. <laughs> So, a week later, I returned to this meeting, and there she is again, the hawk-faced old broad by the name of Jean. She says, hi, Roy, it's nice to see you. Nobody in my life was saying, hi, Roy, it's nice to see you. Why don't you come on over to our house, pee all over the bathroom, puke on our couch, curse around our children. It's a joy to have you. There were people in Alcoholics Anonymous that were saying, it's nice to see. So, that's what I did. I just kept coming back. Because I got a moment's peace. I didn't have to argue with anybody. I didn't have to prove to you that you were wrong. And over a period of time, Emma Broads in my first home group. There aren't no broads anymore. They're women, girls, friends, trusted, confident. There was uh, know-it-all Nona, <laughs> arrogant Angie. And Dingy Dorothy. And a bunch of other ones. Who took me the way I was. Rude, crude, socially unacceptable. I smelled bad, talked worse. I was not somebody you would pick to spend the winter with. <laughs> but they took their, they took their time with me. They came in the door, I came in the door, they always said hi. If I talked, they would continue to talk. If I didn't talk, they were done. And they told me what they did. They didn't drink, and they went to regular meetings and met at the same time in the same place, and they talked to their sponsor. And after doing that for a considerable period of time, they were allowed to trust in God, clean house, and work with other people. That 
that's what they did. They worked with me. If I'd stick around after the meeting. In the meeting, they talked about it in a general way, but after the meeting, they got down to the nut button. I mean, it was right there. It was bloody, brutal, honest. The depths of alcoholism. The depths of the addiction. The butt-ugly stuff. That doesn't come up in genteel conversations at Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners. <laughs> That's the stuff they talked. But they talked about it in a general way in the meeting, and I know that they drank like I drank, they ran like I ran, they stole like I stole, they hoard like I hoard. They did the things I did, just like Dr. Bob said about Bill. They spoke my language. And it wasn't because they picked it up in some books. And that's where I saw unity. I mean, when they went somewhere, they went in mass. With dresses on and cleaned up and everything. They went to treatment centers together. They had a little brown suitcase like this. It was, I don't know, 24 inches long and 16 inches deep, or wide and 4 inches deep. That's where they carried everything for that group. They carried their literature in there, and they, when they came down to set up the meeting, they opened it up and they went through and put it out. And if you didn't put it back in right, it didn't fit. So I've been sober these years and I got this loving invitation from Rick to speak here and uh, I just hope my guts don't turn to water for all you people but I'm here to talk about unity one of them legacies of ours. Definition of a legacy, I got it out of the dictionary. It's anything that's handed down from the past, and it's something that's left behind by an action. An action. And what my big book tells me is that recovery is not drinking. When I'm not drinking, I have recovered. I may not be too kind, too nice, but I have recovered. The grace of God is operating in my life. It may not be by my asking. It's generally because that you prayed for me. By an action of your prayer. Unity. It says there's no discord. Unity is visible to the newcomer as a way out. God. 
What do we need service for? We need service to preserve the unity so that AA can carry the message. Unity is a state of being one. An absence of diversity. Uniform character. A whole or a totality as combining all parts into one. Unity of action is a single plot with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Unity is an arrangement of parts capable of providing a concentrated total effect. We deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. <laughs> Discord. That's it. I should write better. <laughs> it's an anony of unity. Discord. Diversity. Not combined or a variety of. Multiplicity. Many are varied. Well, what are you talking about, Roy? The book says we are people who would not normally associate with each other. Normally we wouldn't. Normally we wouldn't. We've been wrecked in the same vessel. We have found a way out upon which we can absolutely agree and join in a brotherly and harmonious action. That's in the big book. I'm a believer that if you have an experience in your life and it ain't in the big book, I really don't want to hear about it. forward to the second edition it says belief in and a dependence upon God a belief in and a dependence upon God that's when Bill's talking about the tenets of the Oxford group he didn't believe in them all but he believed that there was a necessity for a belief and a dependence upon God. Now, when I was in this first home group of mine, oh, there's a word that was read to carry its message to the alcoholic and still suffers. Yeah. Ask your home group, well, what's our message? Well, anyhow, I was at this meeting, and they, am I running over? Okay. I was at this meeting, and they uh, decided that they, uh, they, they needed a literature rack to, to put up in the, in the library in Dickinson. They had a literature rack someplace else, but uh, they, they wanted to put a literature rack up, but they just didn't have enough money in the treasury to do that. 
little smart-ass Roy, he just drug out his checkbook, and I wrote a check. He said, here, how much are literature out? Fifteen bucks, I wrote a check. There, go get a go get a literature out. I got a call that night from Know-It-All Nona. <laughs> Obviously, these women have been talking about me. And I'm about to receive a lesson from Alcoholics Anonymous. She said, Roy, would you stop by and pick up your check? I said, well, what for? Well, if we take that check and get the literature rack, it'll be Roy's literature rack, not the literature rack of Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, well, how about if I just give the check to the group? She said, let me That's unity. That's what that is. A group that's not afraid to say no BS. No ego. My ego was too big. And every now and then it still gets a little big. Actually, it doesn't get a little big. It gets really overinflated. And there's a unity of spiritual principles. I wrote those down too. The first one's love. The second one's joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Generosity. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. How many times have you been in meetings and heard people say, well, I know what I need to do to take care of myself. <laughs> My first sponsor said, well, that's nice, Roy. How's that working for you? <laughs> How's that working for you? The unity of Alcoholics Anonymous means the unity in the group. The group's at the top. Those traditions apply to everybody. Even GSO. Because it says you shouldn't make any decisions that affect other groups or AA as a whole. And when they chose not to print my directory because they wanted to save $35,000, they didn't come out and ask the groups, and they sure didn't ask it at the assembly because I asked our delegate. It says our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. I think that used to be in the 10th tradition but they didn't like that, so they put it back in the other one. We read the long form of the tradition, generally in the month, first meeting of the month. Not always. 
we may become the smallest 12-step group in the world. But when I want it, when I, I want it when an alcoholic like me walks through the door and he doesn't get confused about where he's at. We be smorgasbord and stuff. Take what you like and leave the rest. But finger it all while you're going through. <laughs> no. We're Alcoholics Anonymous. I heard a guy say, well, there's no recovery in step one. Look. Excuse me? Step one says we learned we had to fully concede to our innermost self that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery? Now there's recovery in step one. And it's ugly. Because I'm comparing my insides to your outsides and I know I'm in the toilet. And you come up and you talk to me about what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like now. What it used to be like for me is I drank every day. What happens, I came to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, what it used to be like doesn't make sense. That's insanity. The drinking and the debauchery and everything that went along with it. That's insanity. The definition of insanity, the true definition of insanity is it has no definition. It is unexplainable. What happened, that doesn't make sense either. I came to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and I haven't had a drink since. Huh? It doesn't make sense. What's it like now? Yeah, I got two kids. I got two ex-wives. Yeah, my first wife never followed me to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. (laughs) And, and, And I've got a black lab named Ralph. I got a 19-year-old deadbeat cat by the name of Bernice. And they don't care about my unity as long as I bring the groceries through the door. (laughs) But the unity of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I don't know about being sponsored into service, but I do know one thing. Recovery is at the bottom, and unity is over here. When's the last time you heard about somebody, well, this guy sponsored me into unity. Huh? You don't hear people talk about that. You go to a meeting. And there's some old fat slouched up guy there who's just coming off a drunk. 
was this really nice-looking girl over there just coming off the drum. She's got about 80 people around her, and this other guy ain't got nobody there. <laughs> well, that says a lot, doesn't it? It take about a number of people clapping. You've seen that a time or two. <laughs> or all of a sudden when the meeting is over, everybody gets up and they're out the door and on their way to Perkins Denny's or someplace else to have the meeting after the meeting. And this poor person is there. All by themselves. And we know what will fix that. Brandy will fix that for me. A drink will fix it. And I'm sure that drunk is lying to himself. He's welcome back tomorrow. Maybe there'll be somebody else here. He ain't making it. I met a girl named Barbara this morning at the hotel. I asked her what groups, what was her home group? Her home group is, it's in the book. I'm a believer that if you want to hide something from an alcoholic, you put it in the big book. Yeah. Because there's a lot of them out there, well, I know what I need to do to take care of myself. I got two minutes left. You only have to put up with this for a little. I didn't think I could talk that long on, on unity. But I have experience that unity works. Because I'm sober today. Only by the grace of God through the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's that simple and it's that complicated. They took their time with me. When I got my first sponsor after being sober for about six months and moving up to the Culberts in Montana, which is right near the edge of the earth. You can see the dragons peeking their little heads over. <laughs> and I got my first sponsor, Lloyd. Lloyd asked me the same question that they asked me down in Dickinson. How oh, do you want to quit drinking? Yeah. Well, why did I bring up that directory? I would not have found Lloyd without the directory of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's one alcoholic talking to another. Oh, you can look it up on the internet. Oh, you can? Has it got a name and a phone number? Has it got a lot of names and a lot of phone numbers? That's unity. So we're not supporting unity unless we get in there with a big stick and stir them up real regular. So, I want to thank my sponsor for showing up. He's bowing his head now. 
I came down here with a lady that I sponsor. We drove down from Fargo. And uh, I met Alan, your kind husband. And if you're wondering what these papers are up here, they're a handout that a fellow I sponsor, he and I put on at the uh, 2005 workshop or uh, roundup in uh, Williston, North Dakota. And there's also another little handout up here of uh, something to think about. So, and if you don't get one, the archivist in New York at GSO has got a copy of that. So does our archivist at Area 52 in North Dakota. You can find them on the web. <laughs> Thank you all for showing me that the grace of God. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.